new drive with Goodman and Fry. Presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mon Forest Products Twitter feed at T. Fry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. Great to be back. Uh, I don't know when you go on vacation, if you've been long, if you've been gone for a little bit, you're like, I'm glad to be home. We went for five nights. Yeah. And we were more than happy to come home. We had a great time just enough. Where's the tan? I'm. I, where's the tan? You're tan. I'm always. Oh, did you say where is the tan? Yes. Oh, you know I don't look tan, or I do look tan. You do look tan. Oh, I'm always like this though, but I'm probably a little darker now yes. than you than usual. So, well, congratulations, first and foremost. Thank you. I uh, had a great time. Played uh, 54 holes of golf. That was great. Did certainly a lot of drinking. Hung out by the infinity pool. Met a lot of great people. But here was the craziest part of the entire trip. So Mandy and I board our flight from Cabo on the way back to Denver and we're sitting in our seats. We're fly United and um, I'm on my phone doing something and what possesses me to look up, I have no idea. And I look up and like a fly at a barbecue or, or a a singed something off of a fire where it just kind of hits you in the face and you just have this stunned look. I look up and I go kale and he goes, yeah. And it was Kale McCarr. Wow. Right. He was sitting three. He and his, I believe, his girlfriend were sitting about three or four rows behind me. What I found most stunning was. Did he have the Stanley Cup with him? He did not. And if he did, it would have been tough to probably fit it, you know, in the seat with him. He probably had to put it underneath the uh, plane. But with that, I was absolutely stunned. I don't think that anybody really knew who he was. Uh Well, he does not stand out, no. No, but after all the TV... He looks like your newspaper delivery guy back when they had newspaper delivery boys. But nobody approached him. Um, Nobody seemed to recognize him. And I'm thinking, wow, the Avalanche just won the Stanley Cup. And when uh, we left the plane, we had to go through customs. And here's the thing. I haven't been to the Avalanche in a while because of COVID. If we can't do one-on-one stuff, to me, it, it's really not the same uh-huh. as a press conference. Would you kind of agree on oh, that? Oh, very much so. You don't have a chance for any, any kind of interaction, of impromptu exchange with anybody. So I felt badly. I kind of introduced myself to him, even though three years ago, he and I had talked in the past. So we're standing in line as we're getting ready to go through customs. And I said, if you get a chance, uh, talk to Joe Sackick about his fantasy football team. If you ever really want to connect with Joe, and Joe doesn't have a lot to say, he I said, talk to him about his fantasy football team. Or the Seattle Mariners. That's right. And he will not stop talking. He started to laugh. Uh, his girlfriend, very nice. But again, I was absolutely blown away that nobody approached him. I don't think people knew who he was. And he is one of the top five players in the NHL, and we are in Denver. That doesn't really surprise me, the lack of recognition. But, and it pretty much underscores the nature of his almost even humility. He doesn't really stand out in a lot of ways. No, but you can make the case would 
Nathan McKinnon, who's not that much bigger, stand out? Would Gabriel Landeskog really stand out? He's not like he's 6'5". Yeah. Right? So, you know, if it's a basketball player, usually they're about 6'5", 6'6", and you take a couple of looks. Similar to baseball players. Right. Anyway. So, with that, time now for the lead. The lead is presented by Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Brew. Colorado's best barbecue since 2007. Get some tonight in Denver, Longmont, Lions, and Estes Park. Well, speaking of the Avalanche, they have made a trade, and they have picked up a goalie. Help me with his name, Alexander Gorgiev. Gorgiev. Alexander Gorgiev. 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 What did the Avs give up? Third round, fifth round selections in this upcoming draft, a fifth round pick in the 2023 draft. As Joe would not say, but I'll say it for him, F them picks. Gorgiev finished with a 15-10-2 record this past season. He ended the season in his last nine starts hot, 8-1 and one record, two, two shutouts. Finished the season, his save percentage was under 90%. Goals against average, not really that impressive either. Overall, 2.92. Uh, I think it is fair to say that Darcy Kemper is uh, gone. Yes, very much so. They, I think they met with him and said, you know, we really can't get into even offering you what could be market value. He made $4.5 million this season. To get bumped up would kind of take him out of, would tie the avalanche hands on other moves. So I don't even think they got into hardcore negotiating with him and his agent. Now, Gorgiev is, he was uh, competing with Shesterkin to be, to be the backup to Henrik Lundqvist when Henrik Lundqvist was still playing. Did not beat out Shesterkin. So he's, he was the backup goaltender after Lundqvist's retirement. And so he's he's a guy who had his chance to take over as the Rangers goaltender. Couldn't do it, but the guy who beat him out, Igor Shesterkin, is pretty good. Hey, well, I, I think he won the Vizina. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to beat out the guy who just finished with the uh, best season of hey, the year. His numbers are not great. I mean, he's been in the NHL for 131 games. 2.93 goals against and a .909 save percentage. So he, he doesn't have great numbers, but he's he's a capable NHL goaltender, obviously. Well, we're about to find out. Here's the thing. It's very easy to criticize Sackick and say, how can you let Kemper walk? Although we don't know what Kemper was asking for. But looking at Joe Sackick's track record, I will parallel it to George Payton's track record. It's pretty good. It's easy to question, and I'm not saying in George we trust or in Joe we trust, but you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's talking about. I think he does. He's shown he was dealing with Chris Drury here now, the general manager of the New York Rangers, so his former road roommate was was dealing with him on the goaltending situation. I think it was very clear that uh, the, the Avalanche made that prioritization of goaltending. We talked about this when you were gone, Eric. I, I had said I, I wouldn't even be surprised, and I even thought they were going to let they were going to let Darcy Kemper walk and go with uh, Pavel Francouz, which may end up still the case with uh, Gorgiev being the 1B or backup goaltender. I think right now they're going in thinking he's going to be the starter. I think that's what they're thinking. I don't think there's any reason to hand him the job, though. He hasn't proven that he should be the incumbent because he isn't the incumbent. I think there should be a battle like Gorgiev and Shesterkin. And obviously Shesterkin was better. But I would not just hand this to Francois. Whoever's better, that's who gets the job. Um, with that, how good do you feel about this one-two tandem for a team that is defending the Stanley Cup title? And I, I brought this up in the past, right before I left. 
I hope this isn't a John Elway situation where he wins a Super Bowl in 2015. Peyton Manning retires and says, hey, our defense was so good. We don't need a top flight Mm -hmm. quarterback where Joe could be thinking, and I hope he's not. We don't need a top flight goaltender. Look at our defense and look at our offense. I think he's looking at it as as we need a top flight goaltender for financial terms that make sense to us. Darcy Kemper was not going to give them, in my opinion, $6 million worth of goaltending. Right. That he was going to be the starter, probably. No, no starter, probably. But he was not going to be able to deliver them the market value that he would be seeking. In other words, he was overpriced. He was going to be overpriced. Now, I'm sort of saying... You're always going to be overpriced when you win a Stanley Cup. Not, You're always going to make a quarter or a half million more just because you have a ring. But I think everybody else in the league understands the realities, too. So I don't think it was going to be a case of him getting 8 or $9 million or anything like that. It was just at the avalanche. And I do think... I'm kind of playing off your argument there. I do think they, they believe they can get serviceable goaltending and still win. Well... We'll see. Serviceable to go through a playoffs with serviceable goaltending. I mean, we had plenty of doubts about. We had plenty of doubts about Kemper getting through, and as you and I have talked about, he had some games where he wasn't very good. I'll be the first one to tell you that. But in his ten wins, he was ten and four. In his 10 wins, his goals against average was 1.74. Mm-hmm. In the Stanley Cup playoffs, in the three of the four wins, it was .88. He was good that, in that game far two. Be- that's far better than serviceable. He was good good in game two, game four, and game six of the finals. Well, that's that's three of the four wins, and that's a .88, and that's far better than serviceable. He, he, that, that, he, is, that is historic level. He's a major league goaltender. He is not a star. He's never going to be on the marquee. And he was never going to, quote, lead this team to a Stanley Cup. They, I agree. They needed to get the best goaltending they can get with the financial resources and the prioritization involved, especially with Nathan McKinnon up for, for an extension that will need to be negotiated. Uh, there's no real rush on that necessarily. But in this case, they need to get it done. Okay. Well, and, and they need to get it done in order so they can decide what else they can do around the Nathan McKinnon extension. So let's say they offered Kemper for the for just the sake of argument. I don't think it ever even got to that. Okay, let's say they were willing to go to five and a half. Five, five and a half. Is that fair? Uh, I'm not even sure of that. I'm not sure they well, were. Well, they gonna weren't going to offer him less than 4.5. No, they weren't. That's my point. So if they were willing to offer him five, let's call it five and a half. But I think, I guess what I'm saying is, Eric, is that they they evaluated this as saying, We'll insult him if we get, if we offer him anything less than five four and a half million dollars, which he was getting this season, and we're just not in the financial we're not in a financial situation to even be able to do that. Well, then there's and, no reason to get together. There's no reason to have they, conversations they, they, or get together. But they got together and they had a in, they had a baseline conversations about where to go from here. And I think the agreement was on both sides. It just didn't make financial sense for either side. I agree. But I, they were not going to offer. They can shake hands and walk away saying, well, we want a Stanley Cup together. Right. Well, they were going to offer him less than 4.5. And I'm guessing he's going to be looking for something in the neighborhood of about seven. So with that, maybe the Avs are willing to go to five, five and a half. Later on in the show, we'll talk about if they were willing to go to five and a half. And maybe you can call that a hometown discount. Fine. Five. Okay. Five million. Yeah. They would have offered him five million. Who is that $5 million now going to be earmarked for? And we'll talk about that later on in the show. Coming up after the break, 
while I was gone, man, a lot of news in college football, in college sports. Who is going where? Where is Colorado going? But with the latest news, the SEC could be adding four huge schools. Who are they? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman Fry. Watch us, mileisports.com. You can reach us, Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed, at tfry, at Eric Goodman, if you're looking for wholesale loan to the public. Go to rmfp.com. In the meantime, I want to tell you about my friend Dan McKenzie and McKenzie Law. Uh, he did my estate plan, will, and our my living will as well. Did the same thing for my wife, Mandy. Uh, we cannot be any happier with the work that he did with us. He explained everything. I feel that now everything is taken care of. If God forbid something happens, uh, whether it is with my family, talking about financially, or if God forbid something happens to me physically, you know, the doctors aren't going to be making those decisions. Those decisions have already been made. So whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you feel you have a lot of money or not, you should do it. Do yourself a favor and talk to Dan McKenzie at the McKenzieFirm.com. That's the McKenzieFirm.com. Time now for the buzz. The Buzz is presented by Rocky Mountain Forest Products, where they specialize in wholesale lumber to the public. Go to Rocky Mountain Forest Products in Wheat Ridge or go to rmfp.com. Well, Braden Keith is reporting, a longtime reporter, that North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia are all negotiating to join the SEC. I think this is something, Terry, that we have been expecting anyway. And when you look at the possibility of these schools potentially joining the ACC, or excuse me, the SEC, how would you like to see North Carolina against Kentucky in basketball once or twice a year? How would you like to see Clemson play Alabama potentially every single year in football? This is also hypothetical and fluid. That it's almost dizzying to try to keep up with it. Sure. Brayden Keith is kind of a specialist reporter on swimming, but that's a... That's a very uh, in sport in the, in those circles. So he's probably hearing it from highly placed people in the schools and the athletic administration. So I, I don't really want to put my both feet in the ground and say this is what's coming because we don't know. No, I didn't say it is what's coming. I'm saying that there have been multiple reports since the whole thing with USC mm-hmm. and UCLA that now the SEC is going to try and consolidate, that the Big Ten is going after Notre Dame. We already know about USC and UCLA. We have speculated, okay, well, if you want to talk about speculation, it is only speculation, I suppose, that Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are talking to the Big 12. That is only speculation, but we both know it's happening. Well, certainly we do. The the, the uh, University of Colorado did not burn bridges when it left the Big 12 over 10 years ago because uh, it was... The, the turnover in both programs involved in the league and the personnel involved in the administrations and decision-making have long turned over. So that's, that's an irrelevant point, I think. If Colorado does try to go back to the Big 12, 
I mean, it's not a really glamorous league. It never was, and I, that's why I always thought it was a better fit. It was a better fit for the for the Pac-10 slash 12. Larry Scott screwed up the whole thing. It was they were on track to make productive moves. They could have picked from the remnants of the dying Big 12 before the Big 12 added four teams following the de- departure of Texas and Oklahoma. And so I, I think Colorado should look at the Big 12 and measure its measure its status opposed to the alternative. If possible, if it doesn't completely crumble, remaining in the Pac-10 and, and, and seeing maybe if the Pac-10 can also expand. So I think those are the alternatives for Colorado to join the Big 12 and also try to stay in the Big 10. I mean, the Pacific 10 or Pac-12, whatever it's going to be called and whatever the membership is going to be. Those are the two alternatives for Colorado, realistically. You know, you don't want to get into any kind of discussion for Colorado dropping down to Oh, the Mountain West Conference. I'd rather go the other way and see if Colorado State and Air Force could be viable possibilities to join the Pac-12. Maybe. <clears throat> I think that the schools from the Pac-12 will wind up going to the Big 12. That's, I don't the, way, that's the way it looks. Right. So but the, I also think the Pac-12, uh, after, the Larry, after uh, the Larry Scott fiasco, if they can put it back together. With what? With, with the 10 teams remaining. How many teams they currently? I'm saying if they don't. If this does not all go willy-nilly and everybody has to make a commitment in 15 minutes for events that are happening in two or three years down the road, if sanity prevails and they can somehow hold together the Pac-10 slash 12. And remember, they put out a statement the other day saying they were they were in line with the league's attempt to negotiate broadcasting the next broadcasting contract right now. Well, of course right they're going to say that, right? Yes, they are, but they've got, they, they're saying we're going to be part of these negotiations. We back the... We back the Pac-10 to back. I keep saying Pac-10. I'm ahead of myself here. The Pac-12. We back the Pac-12's moves to negotiate a new television contract, implying and saying they're part of that group trying to reach those uh, broadcasting agreements with the networks. And so, uh, I think the I think everybody should step back, take a deep breath, and attempt to see if the Pac-10 slash 12 can be salvaged. So you have the Seattle market. I mean, do you want them to go run right back to the Big 12 and join that I, I didn't, I Join didn't. that glamorous league with Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and then Central Florida, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati? Is that is that better than the Pac-10? Okay, what's the glamour in the Pac-12 or Pac-10? Well, who, who, Los who? Angeles market, that, they've That's lost gone. that. That's they've gone. lost that. Right, the so Bay what's Area, the glamour? The Bay Area, Oregon. Oregon. Washington. Oh, come on. Yeah, no, I'm not being serious now. Oregon, Oregon and football, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on Oregon and football, and then maybe Arizona and, that's and basketball. A, that's a viable, traditionally-based West Coast league, and, the, and CU should is a better fit for that than the Big 12, and, and at least explore the possibility of trying to hold together the Pac-10 slash 12. I, we can sit here and belittle the Pac, Pac-10 or Pac-12 all we want, but that's the reality. The tradition and the history out there is such that they are they're viable members of a West Coast-based league, and Colorado is kind of a new newcomer in that realm with Utah. But they can try to hold it together and, and see if that's a possibility. How long has the uh, Big Ten been around? Maybe 100 years? Yeah. Okay. Um, SEC, how long has that been around? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever you want to call it. It's been around since the early 1900s. And then it took a little hiatus, didn't it? Well, for four years. There you go. So I I guess that's the tradition, that maybe they don't stay together. 1959 is 1963. They didn't stay together. That's the tradition, that they broke up. Unlike the ACC didn't break up, 
Big Ten didn't you're, bank you're, break you're up. Gonna, you're going you're gonna to base your evaluation now on something that happened in 1959 to 1963. What I'm saying to you is this, is that should Colorado stay in the Pac-12? Yeah, I suppose if they can get a television deal. Right now, each school is making, what, $30 million a year? That's yeah. about it. And I, I can't imagine. And now there are discussions that maybe the ACC and the Pac-12 will strike a deal. Well, Fox brought Fox brought UCLA and USC to the bargaining table for the new television contract for the mm-hmm. Big Ten. That's that's all behind this because Fox owns sixty percent of the of the Big Ten network. That's right. all behind this, and clearly the projections that the revenue would be twice as much uh, in the other leagues as the as the Pac-12 is a factor. I'm saying that. When we're talking about events that are going to take place in two or three years, there's no, there, we should try to inject some sensibility into this process by saying, let's take a deep breath. We don't have to make this decision in the next 10 minutes. Let's see what might be viable and, and whether, the, whether the house burning down is something that we cannot stop. Well, we're about to find out just how good Rick George is, aren't we? And I can promise you he's not going to win any popularity contests up in Boulder with the donors, right? I don't know. You know. Come on. You're, you're, you're as tapped into CU as anybody. CU is, well, one of the reasons CU is, has struggled a little bit is because they were, they, when they were upgrading the facilities, for example, um, Mike Bowen was told, we can't do those things until we have the money in the bank to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And what did they end up doing? I, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, because I'm, but I'm acknowledging that CU made mistakes. One of them was they told Mike Bowen, you Mike Bone, you can't upgrade these facilities, the football offices, the football training facilities, everything else up here until we have the cash to pay for it. And then when they figured out they couldn't raise the cash to pay for it, they went ahead and did it anyway. So I, Mike, Mike Bone really, Mike Bone being a, a prominent member of this kind of process that's coming back to haunt CU, Mike Bone is probably in, in a way gloating over the prospect of being being part of the process that's leading to problems at CU. You better believe he is. You better believe That's him. why he was fired at CU is because uh, he he didn't raise the money to, to build those facilities and then decided for a successor just to go ahead and do it. Yeah, and, we're, and since he's been gone, all he did was help build a national power in, in football with Cincinnati. Cincinnati, and now he's at USC. For the people who I've talked to up at CU, I understand what maybe Mike's reputation was, maybe a little bit of a used car salesman. I'm with you on well, that. Well, you tell me an athletic director who is not a used car salesman. I'll tell you this. He was highly, Sorry, used car salesman. He was highly, highly respected up there by a lot of people doing a lot of good things. And, and if you want to look at his hires, uh, you, you can look at Dan Hawkins, who... I had no problems in giving a second contract to because what I was told was when they were three and one against West Virginia and then won that game, I think they were four and one teams are coming after teams are coming after Dan Hawkins. Well, the 2020 hindsight on that hire is ridiculous because he was viewed as a home run hire. Yep. And you look at it now, uh, you look at it now and there was every reason to consider it a, a big hire. And then you look at John Embry. That wasn't his hire. He was pressured into it by a bunch of alums said hire a buff. That's right. That was not his hire at all. I don't believe he wanted John Embry for one minute. And oh, by the way, he did hire Tad Boyle. Yes. And he oversaw a lot of the non-revenue sports as well. Mike Bone has had a tremendous career since getting fired here. Maybe they should have kept him. Well, there's no question about that, especially because they held him to a standard that they threw out the window five minutes after he was outside the door. Right. So I, 
I hope you're understanding where I'm coming from on Colorado and the and the Pac-12 is that I hope it's salvageable and we can go back and retreat and go back in history and attempt to break down why these things are happening. But that's almost irrelevant now. We need to be looking forward and deciding where we're going. And when I say we, I mean Colorado. I'm a Colorado grad, proud one. And I think we need to be looking at this as a way, seeing if there's any way, any way, and maybe I'm whistling in the wind on this, any way to salvage ongoing membership in the Pac-12 and perhaps expansion in that league. If it's not viable, yes, you have to quickly, quickly look around the alternatives so you're not left behind. I realize that's the principle involved here is not getting left behind. And if it has to be the big, if it has to be the big 12, making it big, big 16 or whatever it is, uh, then it has to be that. Let me ask you something. And we got to hit a break soon. If you're North Carolina, Florida state, Clemson, Virginia, you get an offer from the sec, you going, but yeah, but here's the other thing. Here's the other thing though, is North Carolina, what's North Carolina's record going to be in football in the sec? Uh, Everybody's walking around th- Talking like everybody in the league can go eight and two in league games, no, or, or eight and they, one in league. Well, games. It's, you can't. It, it, there's going to be doormats in the SEC. I, I understand that, and you know what's a, you know who's a doormat in the Big Ten right now? Nebraska. Okay, but North Carolina does bring things. First of all, they bring a lot of academic cachet. I think we can both agree on that. And secondly, they bring a storied basketball program. That's what they bring. So when you look at it, but you're talking about that with the SEC, how how are you saying that's going to affect the University of Colorado and the negotiations? Because with the Big I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because if North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia leave, and there are talks from what I've been reading between the ACC and the Pac-12 having a loose affiliation, the ACC is in big trouble too. And everyone's going to be looking to jump to the SEC or the Big Ten, and the Big Ten is already courting Notre Dame, and I think they'll get Notre Dame, not football, everything else, Mm -hmm. and then eventually Notre Dame is going to have to give up their football in order to join the Big Ten in full. Notre Dame giving up football. Not giving, you know exactly what I I mean. Okay, I'm talking about their big television deal. The point is, you have two behemoth conferences that are only getting bigger and fatter with more money to give to these schools and the Pac-12 will not be able to compete. And honestly, the Big 12 won't be able to compete. And the ACC signing that ridiculous, foolish television deal to 2036, that killed them too. Yes, it did. Coming up after the break, the Rockies lost to the Dodgers on Wednesday, yesterday. But that's not what Terry wants to talk about. Terry wrote in the show notes today, he's upset about something else. Terry, what are you upset about? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman Fry. Watch us, smileisports.com. You can reach us. 
Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at T Fry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for what's trending. What's trending is presented by Low T99. Testosterone treatment made easy and affordable. For just $129 per month, they'll send you testosterone, supplies, and the price includes lab work. Go to lowt99.com. So for those who have been listening to the shows I've been doing over the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years, uh, whoever I'm partnered with, we, we work together on the show notes for the show. I love the topic that you had, so I'm going to read it verbatim. The Rockies lost to the Dodgers last night, but what was maddening to many watching, I'm guessing you're including yourself. You, you can count me in on this. There we go. Good. Was that the Rockies were one hit by four Dodgers pitchers, beginning with starter Mitch White, who is pulled shortly after allowing Brendan Rodgers single in the sixth. Then you write as the question, TV crews apparently were even speculating that White was about to come out when he still had a no hitter. So why were you so upset, Terry? that he was pulled from the game, or is it just a smart preservation of resources given the investments in pitchers in this era? Those additional words, smart preservation of resources given the investments in pitchers in this area is my preventive shot off the bow against the response to this kind of thinking. And my kind of thinking is, and when I hear people say this, it drives me crazy too, they ascribe that to get off my lawn mentality. That bugs me no end. Any, Any sensible reasonable conclusion based on precedence of history is not get off my lawn. Okay. So don't tell me this is get off my lawn. Okay. It, it still makes me angry though, that we're babying pitchers so much given those, yes, given those investments that we, the pitch count is the paramount statistic to managers and pitching coaches. Uh, it's become the most important thing that we've babied pitchers to the point where, it's just it's gotten beyond reason when you can pull a pitcher when he has a no hitter and and the pitcher in some cases as we have seen isn't even upset about it kind of expects it as part of the process, but yes I'm going to do this I am going to go there. What would Bob Gibson say if they tried to do this to him in the in the 60s when he was pitching an hour and 45 minute games when he was throwing complete game after complete game. That's the oh, part. You mean, of, you mean you mean when the mound was higher? Yeah, he had a huge advantage. <laughs> you mean and they they, they didn't they didn't have a uh, pitch clock either. No, so, they didn't. Right, so we don't know if he was rushing it up at ninety five miles per hour in oh, the ninth inning. Oh, come on! You, now you know he was. You you know he was. You know you. You really think his fastball had the same giddy up in July in yes. the ninth inning? Yes. Really? Yes, with, I do. With no pitch clock, you you yes. know that. Yes, I How do. How do you know that? I just know it. <laughs> Baseball pitchers are being babied to to embarrassing excess now. The pitch count has really hurt. The emphasis on the pitch count has hurt the game. The, the uh, deliberate pace has hurt the game. This is all part of a package of gripes from a guy who loves baseball and, and is aggravated by it to no end. Okay, so I'll just counter that. For starters, Mitch White was a reliever to start the season. And you have covered baseball for a long time, as have I. When you hold on, when Mitch, you, Mitch White is only one example of that you see on no, a no, night no. on a nightly basis in major league baseball. I'm talking about him because that's the example. But he's still he's still the example I'm using here. Right, that's it's, all I'm yeah, saying. I, mean, I was just saying. I'm not just saying. Boy, this is the first time this has ever happened. They pulled a starter in the sixth inning when he was pitching, working on a one hitter. That's not I, the first time it's happened. This is endemic to the game. It plagues the game. 
It drives people who love baseball nutty, and it also it also is aggravating to think that people who should know better are are just saying, "Oh, that's just part of the game now. You're preser- you're preserving your resource." I don't. I don't. First of all, I do have a problem with the games going too long. I'm with you on that. Because when you have pitching changes and managers going out to the mound, it certainly slows down. Well, and down it's all—it's part of everything, including Trochelowski stepping out after every pitch to adjust his batting gloves. And Nomar Garcia Parra. Yes, he was the champ. Right. So with that, I think the managers had it all wrong back then, and I'll tell you why. Because not first of all, not everybody's Bob Gibson. You're talking about a Hall of Famer. Don Drysdale. Then you know, don't cherry pick. They're only they're only a handful. I was of, telling you not to cherry pick with Mitch White, and now I'm. Well, no, but Mitch White was our example. Yes. Okay, he started the season in the bullpen. He hadn't thrown more than 80 pitches the entire season. He was over 100. Poor baby. At the end of the day, you know this as well as anyone. You have talking to a guy who has covered baseball at the highest level like me. You know as well as anyone. I'm a former member of the baseball writers. Congratulations. Then again, you know this. You've got to hang in the clubhouse too long. You know this as well as anyone that in spring training, they train guys to throw a certain amount of innings. That's the way it is done today. And if I had my choice, not with a Bob Gibson, not with a Don Drysdale, not with a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not talking about those guys. That if I have a choice between my second and third starter who has thrown 115 pitches and it's in the eighth inning and he is a right-handed pitcher, and you have a lefty specialist who dominates left-handed hitters, I'm bringing that guy in for one batter. You know why? Because it's smart. Period. It's about winning games. It's not about complete games. You train a pitcher to throw 85 pitches, he's going to throw 85 pitches. It's the law That's right. diminishing returns. And, and Mitch White is not trained to throw over 100. He could have done it. It was just the general principle as I was watching the game. So how long was- should he have gone? 120, 130, 140 pitches. He should have gone longer than what he threw. It, 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 he could he could have stayed in the game, been viable for at least another couple of innings. That's my opinion, and if you don't like it, that's fine. Who won the World Series last year? Dodgers, but Braves. Who won it two years ago? Dodgers. I'll trust that manager because I think he knows more about baseball than me. Maybe not you, but more than he does. He knows more about baseball than me. I'll take Dave Roberts. I'm talking about the the perspective of the present game in and looking at it in the context is reacting as a fan. The 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 reliance on pitch count just bugs the hell out of me. And I don't. It's I'm okay. Not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and break down every game pitch by pitch to reach this conclusion. I'm saying it's a gut reaction of a fan who loves baseball, and I I almost resent making fun of that kind of position. I think that managers made big mistakes back then because when you look at rosters of pitchers, you had five starters, then you had about four or five guys who pitched a decent... You had closers go three innings back th- back in those days, right? You had closers. Your closers went... Goose Gossage went multiple innings many that, times. That's my point. Back in the 60s and 70s and the early part of the 80s, closers did not just pitch one inning. They went three innings, and then you had dead weight... On your roster, go back and look at it because hold on, because I did. You had guys on your roster, on your pitching staff, who would spend an entire season throwing twenty innings. You might as well have another position player. I am, I am belittling and I am belittling and criticizing the trend in the game. 
period. Well, but this has been a trend for the last 20 plus years. Yes, it has been. And I, I've griped about it for 20 years. I'm going to gripe about it tomorrow and I'm going to gripe about it next week. And if you guys, if you people who, who want to uh, justify this, this ridiculous approach, go ahead. That's fine. I don't think every guy should throw a complete game. I don't think it's necessary. You know, the other night we, the, the Rockies starter threw a complete game and it was like, it was like he had a four home run game. Okay. I don't like that part of the game. I don't like that trend in the game, and I'm just going to say it over and over and over again. I'll tell you. And, another- and if every time I bring up a pet peeve about something in baseball, you're going to jump down my throat, then I won't do it. What do we have coming up, Danny? Well, following Baker Mayfield's finding a new home out in Carolina, who is the next NFL quarterback that'll be on the move? Also, one of the top players in the world withdrawing from Wimbledon with an injury. We'll get into that on the other side right here on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry on Mile High Sports. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman Fry. Watch us, mileisports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products, Twitter feed at tfry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for the final word. The final word. Presented by Greenfield's Pool and Sports Bar in Lakewood. Greenfield's has everything under one roof, including the best happy hour in town. Two for one wine, well, and drafts from 3 until 7 p.m. Just in case you missed it. Presented by Mountain High Appliance, Colorado's favorite appliance store for 25 years in Louisville, Colorado Springs, and now open in their new store in Littleton. Go to mountainhighappliance.com. Just in case you miss it, following Baker Mayfield's trade from Cleveland to Carolina, CBS Sports' Cody Benjamin wrote about five logical destinations for another former starting quarterback likely on the move this offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, his five in reverse order. The first one, I think, is pretty funny. The uh, New England Patriots at number five. <laughs> number four, the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe. Number three, the Texans. Number two, the Bears. And number one, the Browns, Baker's former team. Where does Jimmy G take his next NFL snap? It's got to be with the with the Browns, with uh, Deshaun Watson's suspension coming up. If he gets suspended, it will be Jimmy Garoppolo. If he doesn't, it's not going to be the Bears. Because uh, they're going to go with Justin Fields. It's not going to be the Texans because they're happy with who they have. It's certainly not going to be uh, the New England Patriots. And who are the, who are the other teams or team? The Seahawks. No, I, th- I Texans. Th- uh, Texans definitely not. Uh, the Seahawks. It, it depends on what Seattle is willing to give up, right? If it if if the 49ers ask for a third or a fourth round draft pick, uh. Uh-uh. Not going to happen. So the Patriots uh, were the funny one. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason for him to go there. <laughs> Not at all. They seem pretty pretty good with Mac Jones. And yep. from the recent pictures that have been floating around on Twitter, Mac Jones has gotten into great shape. And I'm sure he's going to have a great year, just like he had a pretty good year last year. He's going to be brought in to be a starter not a backup. And a lot of those teams that you rattled off, or at least two or three, currently have starters. What if Deshaun Watson gets suspended for a year? Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo will be playing in brown and orange. More than likely. What do you think? I'm guessing you agree. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case you missed it, Rafael Nadal has withdrawn from Wimbledon due to an abdominal injury. Nadal was set to play Nick Kyrgios in the semifinals tomorrow. So this will end his attempt at the calendar slam after he won the titles this year earlier at the Australian and French Opens. Uh, Nick Kyrgios will now advance to play the winner of the other semifinal between Novak Djokovic and Cameron Nori. Kyrgios is unranked. Those two guys, Djokovic and Nori, ranked 1 and 9 respectively. More of a benefit or detriment for Kyrgios to get past Nadal to the Wimbledon final without having to play the world number two tennis player. Well, it's got to be a benefit. You get past him without having to play him. That's about as uh, positive as you can get. I, I realize there's probably a little bit of a competitor in him that says, God, that might have been fun to play him in this prominent position in this court. But I think all in all, it comes down to the fact that he's getting past him without having to play him. I'm going to ask both of you, this is a tennis type of question. I think most tennis people would say Roger Federer is the greatest male tennis player of all time. Is that fair? Bjorn Borg. Bjorn Borg. Or I said, or Bjorn Borg. I would go with Bjorn Borg. But let's just say it's, let's just use Federer as our example. What's more important to you when you're talking about who's better? Overall Grand Slam titles and titles and wins or how those two guys went head to head? The The two top guys... So if you're arguing one over the other, which is a more important stat? Head to head. Great. Right. So Nadal is much better than Federer then. Because he is he has been far better. His overall record against Federer is twenty four and sixteen and in the finals is fourteen. But I 10. thought we were talking about Kyrios. No, no, I'm talking about when I said I'm gonna spin it off a little okay. bit with tennis. Because Federer and I what wasn't Nadal going for his third? Yeah, Wimbledon. He, yes, and uh, he was. It's. I feel like it's a little tough to compare because their careers don't totally align. So you have Federer more at the tail end of his. Sure. When he's playing Nadal, and likewise with Nadal and Djokovic, and really just all three of them are a little bit off center. Um, but yeah, I think I would have to say the head-to-head is definitely a large component of the comparison. And, and by the way, there's not because they are very close. Yeah. in the Grand Slam, there's only a four-year age difference between Federer and Nadal. It's not like it's ten years. It's it's pretty close. And Nadal, who was strictly a baseliner for the majority of his career, has learned to win on all surfaces and win on all surfaces consistently and beat the guy. Doesn't Federer have the most Grand Slam wins? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So people would say Federer, but I'll take the guys head to head. Has he learned how to play multiple styles? I think that's what you were saying. Well, I think all of them have won. Not just surfaces, but styles. Right. Federer has won all the Grand Slams. So that clearly says he, he, can, he can play on all surfaces. Nadal has won on all surfaces as well. You're a tennis player. Are you better on grass or dirt or cement? 
Um, I get more. I was more of a baseliner, so I'm better on clay. Now I get so frustrated. Doesn't matter what I plan. I get frustrated. <laughs> Do you throw your racket? No. But I was. I, I wouldn't call myself a great servant volleyer, which would have been great on grass. Okay. And that that really that I was more of a baseline guy. All right, uh, that was Mountain High Appliance. Just in case you missed it, you can walk into any store, try out the appliances before you buy them, not to mention their sales staff. They can help you design an entire kitchen. They can also find you something to fit your budget. It's their sales staff that makes them special. Their appliances make them great. Combine it all, Mountain High Appliance. You can find them in Louisville. Littleton, you can also find their clearance center in Denver. Coming up after the break, will a member of the Denver Broncos Get into the Hall of Fame this upcoming year. Three guys are semifinalists. We'll tell you who they are next. 